Well, again, I want to welcome you to the Sunday after. That's kind of what this is, uh, Sunday after Easter here at Redeemer. And if you're new with us, um, we've been here, meeting here for the last uh, 16 months, trying to plant a faithful gospel witness here in the heart of faith. Uh, that would be able to um, be able to share the gospel with folks who move into this community or who already live here, who would shape disciples, see men and women who are converted to faith in Jesus, who would be whose character would be transformed and changed progressively into the image of Christ, and then send missionaries into our neighborhoods and across the globe. So we believe our call is as a church, and one of the ways that we go about accomplishing that is through the preaching and teaching ministry here in the life of the body. So just going to be a little bit of an overview of kind of our philosophy of that of preaching. I grew up playing baseball, um, and uh, I pitched all the way through high school. Um, wasn't good enough to pitch in college or in minor leagues or professional leagues. I was just kind of a scrub pitcher on the end of the bench in high school. Um, but one of the things as a pitcher, even in the high school ranks, is that you had multiple pitches, right? You threw a fastball, maybe you had a breaking pitch, a changeup, some kind of curve or slider or split finger, or something like that that would kind of throw, throw off speed or have some movement to it. Um, and so you had multiple types of pitches. And at Redeemer, whenever I think of preaching, sometimes I think of it a little bit like pitching. Uh, because there's different kinds of teaching, different kinds of preaching, different kinds of messages. And so when I think of preaching, our fastball here at Redeemer, what we, kind of our bread and butter, the thing that we're lining up, uh, or towing up on the, on the rubber each week and throwing down the heart of the plate is kind of expositional teaching through books of the Bible. So we've worked through books like Jonah and James or First Peter. Recently we've been working through section, a big section of Jesus' teaching in Matthew's gospel in the Sermon on the Mount. We work through verse by verse, paragraph through by paragraph, text by text, working our way through scripture. And our change up here at Redeemer or our breaking pitch here at Redeemer is more thematic teaching or topical teaching as we take a look at issues there in the scriptures. And so if you're showing up this weekend, you find yourselves here at the beginning of one of those change-up series for us. So a few times a year, we take a look at a, a topic or an issue uh, that's pertinent in people's lives. Things like parenting is what we're going to dive into over the course of these next three weeks. And so it's kind of a breaking pitch for us. Uh, but our, our fastball is expositional, verse by verse, teaching through books of the Bible. And just if you're new with us too, I've said this before, is man, it's a great honor for me. And I consider it a great privilege for me to stand before you week after week. I don't know why you continue to come back, but week after week and open the Bible and say, thus saith the Lord, and, and teach the Bible and preach the Bible here as, at Redeemer. And I, I trust that God in his grace is using my feeble attempts at communication to take the word that he has inspired and engraved on pages for it to be passed down from generation to generation. And he's taking that and he's He's forming and he's molding and he's shaping a people for his own glory and for the good of the world. Oftentimes I believe that God is working in the life of our church, not because of me, but in spite of me. Anybody ever feel that way in your own life, that God's probably working in spite of you instead of because of you? And I think oftentimes in this preaching and teaching ministry here at Redeemer, uh, this is very much the case because so often when I stand before you, I'm not preaching from a place of arrival, I'm preaching from a place of aspiration, you know the difference between those two things, right? I'm not preaching from as one who is an expert on all things, but as somebody who's journeying along with you, who is struggling along with you at times, trying to take what God says in his word and see it planted deep within my heart so that it might grow and produce fruit in my life. 
And so I'm not preaching from a place of arrival, but from a place of aspiration. There's been areas of my life in which God, by his grace, has begun to change and transform over the last 20 years or so of my walk with him. And I see fruit being born, but there's places in my life right now today when I look in the mirror and I go, I wish that was a whole lot different than it was right now. I don't know if that's your experience or not, but that's been my experience. Because I don't stand before you as an expert, but as somebody who's journeying alongside of you. And perhaps there's, there's perhaps no other place where that's more true than in the area of parenting, for those of you who are parents in the room. So listen, I, I'm not a parenting expert, okay? I, I don't have, I'm not a licensed family therapist. I don't have initials after my name, although I, I did attend enough schooling and paid enough school debt where I probably should have some initials. I wish I had some initials after my name to show for it, uh, but I don't have any initials there. I don't have any uh, you know, abbreviations. Um, I, I, I don't have an expertise in the area of parenting, but what I do have is a nine-year-old and a six-year-old. My nine-year-old will be 10 in the fall and my daughter just turned six. And so I have about a decade's worth of parenting experience. Um, but hopefully over the course of this series, what you're going to see is that I'm not going to necessarily try to make you like me as a parent, but we're going to open the Bible and see what it says about how, how to shepherd a child's heart and go after their heart. Um, I, 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 and I want you to know this from the outset that this isn't going to be like a drive-by guilting series where I kind of drive by and lob bombs at you, right? Because you're doing a bad job as a parent. And I'm doing a good job. And so you need to be like me, right? I want to make you like me. That's not what we're doing at all in this series. It's not going to be a bunch of guilting about how bad of a job you are doing as a mom or a dad, right? You probably have enough of those emotions and feelings already whenever you look in the mirror at this daunting task that God has given you if you're a parent to raise these children, to instruct and teach and, 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 and disciple and discipline and correct, do all these things that God has entrusted to you with him. You probably already feel like you're not doing a very good job at it because quite frankly, I feel that way most days. Most days, I feel more like I'm probably screwing my kids up than I am shepherding them very well. Right? That's just the reality of parenting, I think, oftentimes in our lives. And so there's not gonna be a whole lot of guilting and drive-by bombs that I'm gonna be dropping on you, okay? Uh, because again, I'm one who's aspiring to this, not someone who's necessarily arrived at it. Look, just the, just the other day, I, I, was, I was with my, with my son, he's, about, he's nine, he'll be 10 in the fall, and um, he's starting to show some of those signs of like, uh, preteen attitudinal and just losing your mindness, right? Uh, where that, that attitude just kind of begins to emerge and like just, just dismissive and like a little bit apathetic at times about things and it's starting to show its head. And just the other day, I, and I'm, I'm also I'm ashamed to admit this to you, uh, but I'll just go ahead and lower the bar really low for all of us in the room so that none of you feel like I'm an expert. Because just the other day, we were, we were together and, 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 he, and, and some of that attitude began to rear its head and I looked at him and I said, son, there's only gonna be one of us who, if this continues, only one of us is gonna survive your, your teenage years. And if I was a betting man, I'd put money on me. <laughs> and you laugh at that, but in that moment, there was an immediate conviction and I thought to myself, what, what are you doing, right? What are you doing? Right, there's been times in my life where I've had to go, in my, in my experience as a parent, I've had to go back to my children over and over again and apologize to them for my quick fuse, 
or my short-temperedness. I've had to own my own sin to them in the ways that I was harsh and perhaps even at times exasperated them either through my indifference or my unavailability in the moment. I've had to go back and own that sin before them and say, would you forgive daddy of these things? So listen, I am not here as one who's going to tell you all the right things that I did because I'm still in the process with you and I can tell you a lot of wrong things that I've done over the course of the years. But my hope is that through this series that God would, would, would raise the bar for us as far as what we're aiming at as we parent our children. Because so often, whenever those of you who are parents, you know that so often there's a temptation in your life day after day, moment after moment, particularly in public spaces and oftentimes in very private spheres as well. There's a temptation that we all feel just to modify their behavior in the moment without really getting underneath the surface with them because we don't want to take the time it would inconvenience us to some degree or we we would lose face in front of all of our friends or our family because our children are climbing up the walls and not listening to a word that we say right we we don't take the time to get under the surface and my aim over the course of these next three weeks is to help us think about how to get under the surface in the lives of our children in ways that we can begin to shepherd their hearts and not just modify their behavior for our convenience or to save face in front of friends and family. Does that make sense? That's where we want to head as we talk about shepherding the hearts of our children. Because listen, if, if, if you're in the room this morning and, and you, your child is, some of you are homeschool, right? And, and you, you, you teach your children in the home. Some of you have your kids in private school where they're receiving education day in and day out in an institution that you're paying tuition dollars for them to go to. And some of you have your children in public school where they're going to school with, with teachers whom your tax dollars support and pay. Right? But regardless of where your kids are being instructed, whether they be in your home, private school, or in a public school, listen, uh, you're all familiar with a, a PTA, aren't you? A Parent-Teacher Association. Uh, and a Parent-Teacher Association, if you look on their national website, they're going to have a list of all kinds, of, like their mission, their objectives, all the things they're trying to aim at and accomplish in the lives of the kids that are entrusted to them. But from the national website of the PTA, they said that their commitment is that they are dedicated to children's educational success, health, and well-being. They're dedicated to those three things, children's educational success, their health, and their well-being. And I just want to say at the outset of this series this morning that as a Christian, as one who has crossed over from death to life and from darkness to light and from despair to hope, one whom Jesus has saved from Satan's sin and death and one whom he is sanctifying into his image and one whom he will one day glorify in his presence as a Christian... Your goals for your children, your aim for your children and in your parenting, it should never be less than the PTA's commitment, but it should be more, right? You shouldn't want less than their educational success. You shouldn't want less than their health and well-being, but you should be aiming for more in their lives, for more. And if, you're, if, 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 if we're not aiming for more, right, then I think we're setting, a, 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 we're, we're, we're setting our children on a course of, of, of being of, of directionlessness and maturity into what they will have a hard time discovering as a, to, to be adulthood if we're not aiming for more than just good grades and protection and safety in their lives. 
And so that's what we wanna get at over the course of these next several weeks. And so to do so, uh, I've borrowed some of this material from a book called Shepherding a Child's Heart, written by Ted Tripp. And if you pick up a copy of that book and you begin to read it, some of you have probably read it before, um, but if you pick up a copy and you haven't read it and you begin to read it and you come across things that you might not disagree with on the implementation of some of the principles that he lines out, just know that, listen, I don't agree with anyone about everything. Okay, the only person that I agree with about everything is the guy who's staring back at me in the mirror every morning whenever I brush my teeth. And some days I, I, I'm kind of sketchy on him as well. <laughs> All right. But some of this material, it's been one of the most helpful resources for me to get underneath behavior and understand the dynamics of the heart. Because if you're gonna aim at more than the PTA's goals, that's where you've got to begin to aim the direction of your parenting and shepherding and because God's called you to be a pastor in your home with your kids. Are you with me so far? All right, so let's, let's jump off here for, and, and, and take a look at what's, what's gonna be necessary for us to, to, for our goals to rise and our aims to rise higher and then how we're gonna go ahead and begin to implement some of that stuff. I'm a, I tend to be a theory guy. I like to talk, I could talk theory in circles for hours, but I also wanna get to some practical nuts and bolts for you this morning and over the course of these next couple of weeks together. So first things first, if, our, if we're gonna aim at our kids' hearts, we have to understand the centrality of the heart for all of life. See, across the pages of the Bible, the heart is seen as more than just this fist-sized organ that pumps blood throughout all the arteries in your body. Right? It's seen more than the, as the physical organ of your body and it's also seen as more than the seat of our emotions. In our day and time, we tend to think of the heart as the emotional part of who we are, right? right? And so we say that somebody has a tender heart or they have a compassionate heart, right? It's how, they, it's how we feel about things. And so we tend to think of people who, have, who wear their feelings on their sleeves a little bit as somebody whose hearts are very tender and soft, Right, because we think of the heart as nothing but the emotions or we think of it as the physical organ. But in the Bible, from the Old Testament to New Testament, the heart is seen as the control command center for all of life. Right? It's where all our decisions are made. It's where every deed that we commit with our hands or with our, every word that comes out of our mouths, it emanates from a desire within our hearts. Over and over and over again, the Bible says that our hearts are the, 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 the center and the command center for our life. It's where our affections reside. Our priorities and commitments bubble over from our hearts. It's the place, the heart is the place where our vision for life is formed and our actions are determined. In the Bible, the heart is the place where our want-tos and our must-haves come from. You have some want-tos in your life and some must-haves in your life, right? Those come out of the heart, the command center of life. It's the place where our thoughts turn to desires and from where our desires turn into actions. The heart is the place where our priorities reside and we assign value to other things and to other people and to other places and to, other exp and to experiences. It's where we value things. The heart is the center of our convictions and it is the seat of our affections. The heart is the command center for all of life. 
In the Bible, the heart is talked about as a place that we think with our hearts and that we store up things in our hearts and we meditate in our hearts, right? It's oftentimes things that we think about that we would think those are functions of the mind. The Bible talks about them as functions of the heart because everything flows downhill and downstream out of the heart. A few texts to show you some of this this reality in the Bible. Proverbs chapter four. In Proverbs chapter four, wisdom personified is speaking to one of his children and listen to what he says in 420 and following. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flow the springs of life. The, 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 the ancient author there says that basically the heart is the place that we live out of, that we live from, right? All of our life flows out of the heart. He says, so guard it, keep it with all, be very diligent and vigilant about what you allow in. He says, in fact, bring my words into your heart, store them up there. We're told elsewhere in Psalm 119 that the psalmist says that he has hidden the word of God in his heart so that he might not sin against the Lord. And so the heart is the place where we store up God's word because the heart is determining our direction and our decisions and our deeds. And if we're saturating the heart, the very command center of our lives with the word of God, then it begins to shape and influence the decisions and the choices that we are making because everything flows out of it. In the New Testament, Jesus has this same understanding of the heart in Mark chapter seven. He's talking to the religious leaders of his day and the people are gathered around him and listen to what he says to them in Mark 7 in verse 14 and following. It says, he called the people to him again and said to them, hear me all of you and understand. In other words, there's something that Jesus wants us to know. He wants us to be very clear about. He wants us to comprehend it and understand it. He says, hear me and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Jesus was speaking in a culture where they had unclean food and unclean animals and things that if they touched or they ate would defile them. And Jesus says, listen, that is not how an individual gets defiled. Listen to what he says. He goes on in verse 17. Uh, this is in verse Uh, 16, I'm sorry, says the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he, Jesus then departs from the crowds and when he'd entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? So you don't get this yet either. You haven't comprehended. It has, the reality of this has sucked into your hearts. You don't understand. Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean and he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him for from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride and foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Jesus says the heart is the command control center of life. It's central to your being and everything that you do and out of it is what flows all of our sinful actions and all of our sinful words. 
In fact, in Luke chapter six, he says, he talks about this beautiful image he uses of a tree. He says, if the tree is good, then it's gonna bear good fruit. But if a tree is bad, then it's gonna bear bad fruit. A good tree doesn't bear bad fruit and a bad tree doesn't bear good fruit. Because ultimately the fruit is connected to the what? To the root, right? To the tree. And it's drawing vitality out into the branches, producing fruit in the, in the, in the life, he says. And if the roots are diseased, if the tree is diseased, then so also will be its fruit. He says, and then he goes on in that Luke 6 text to say, for whatever comes out of your mouth ultimately originates in the heart, for the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. It's central to all of life. One last thing. Back in in the Sermon on the Mount, we've been plowing through over the course of these last several months together. In Matthew chapter five, over and over and over and over again, Jesus raises the bar from the standard of behavior to the condition and desires of the heart. When he says that every deed that you commit ultimately starts as a seed within the heart, right? In Matthew chapter five, he says that 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 the deed of murder ultimately starts as a seed of anger. And as it grows, ultimately in the seed of anger is everything given the right conditions and, 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 and the right environment and the right responses. Everything that you need to commit murder is in that seed of anger, of unrighteous, unchecked anger. So also everything that you need to commit the sin of adultery is in the seed of, un, of lust. Right, as he raises the bar from just deeds to desires and says, These, this is real, where the real work is in, 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 in spiritual life. It's not just in modifying behavior and trying to restrain myself from doing all these things. It's experiencing the transformation from the inside out so that whenever the roots and the, and, and the, and the trunk and the base of the tree are made good, then the fruit also that it begins to bear and produce are made good. The heart is central to all of life. Do you see that? From the, from the, from the scriptures. I'm not, just, I'm not making this up, okay? It's, 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 it's just Bible, The heart is central, it's the command center and everything flows from it. And if, listen, none of these texts are about parenting, okay? None of them are. But they're all about the very wiring that your kids come out of the womb with and that you yourself have as well. And if you miss the centrality of the heart, If you don't understand that's how they are wired, that they are always acting out of something beneath the surface. If you miss the centrality of the heart, here's what we will end up doing. We will end up raising a generation of kids whose lips would honor God, but their hearts would be far from him. They'd be far from him. There'll be a generation of kids who would be raised and they would know exactly what to say and when to say it and how to say it and respond to particular social circumstances and give the appropriate verbal cues. They will know in worship when to raise their hands and close their eyes, when to cry a little bit of a tear, when to get on their knees and pray. They will know all the rhythms and routines of religion, but their hearts will be far from God because we have not cultivated their hearts. We've merely just tried to modify their behavior so they would act right but they've but but they will have no concept of where their behavior comes from why they're doing the things they're doing how to sever the roots of those destructive patterns of behavior in their lives or how to plant good seeds 
that would ultimately bear good fruit to the glory of God, to the good of those around them, and to their personal good as well. They will know the difference between right and wrong, right? Because they get rewarded whenever they do well and they get consequences and punished whenever they do wrong. They will have a conception of that, but if you never get beneath the behavior to what's driving it, right? Every Christmas time, TNT and TBS, they run like these movie marathons, right? And one of the movies they show incessantly from Thanksgiving to New Year's is National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, right? And so you, you get to see Chevy Chase over and light, light those lights on the house over and over and over and over. If you just wanna binge watch National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, like that's, that's your utopia right there. That's what you wanna do with your life, right? But one of the scenes in that movie reminds me of what would take place in the lives of our children if we fail if we fail to cultivate the heart, if we fail to get underneath the externals down below. Remember that scene where they're all gathered there around the table and you have that epic prayer that said, right? Remember, you remember that? As they ask her to say grace and she says grace, right? So they, they gather, the family gathers to pray and they pull the turkey out of the oven, right? And the turkey is golden brown. I mean, it looks buttery, juicy, like it's been just marinated and seasoned to perfection. It's sitting there on the table and Chevy Chase, after the prayer, stands with a knife. And as soon as he pokes it into the bird to begin to slice the meat off, it pops open. Remember that scene? And like inside, it's, it's just gray and dry and brittle and all the bones go right? It's like this rib cage that just gets cracked open there on the table and it is putrid inside. And if we fail to get to our kids' hearts, they will look like a golden brown turkey on the outside. Jesus uses this image. He says they will look like whitewashed tombs that look one way externally, but internally they're full of dead men's bones. If we fail to get to the heart, so how do you get to the heart? This morning, I, I want to, I I in the time that we have left, I want to drill down some nuts and bolts real quick with you. How do you get to the heart? Because it's so much easier, right? Just to modify the behavior, but how do you get to the heart? First thing, first thing is we have to learn to address the source, not just the symptoms, you gotta address the source and not just the symptoms. Listen, if you have a, a, a disease, let's say you go to the doctor and you've had been experiencing you know, symptoms of fever, maybe some, maybe some stomach pain that you've been experiencing and the doctor says, well, you just need to go to the bathroom more often, okay? Well, all right, maybe I do. But like, is there something else going on beneath, right? There's just incredible pains in your bowels and the doctor just gives, says, take some Advil and some, some Miralax, right? And, and go to the pot a little more frequently, right? And that pain continues there and they continue to prescribe you things to, to treat the symptom. They keep treating symptom after symptom after symptom after symptom. Eventually you would go, you know what? That's not a very good doctor. I gotta find another doctor, somebody who's gonna get to the source of what's causing this pain. Because I'm not gonna drink bottles of Miralax and, and dope up on Advil and pain pills for the rest of my life. Because if you have a cancerous tumor growing within your intestines, right, Miralax and Advil is not going to do it for you, right? You can treat the symptoms all day, every day, and that cancer continues to grow and it flourishes in that environment where it's never exposed. 
and never cut out. And the same is true in parenting, is that whenever we, as parents, who are aiming right higher than educational prowess and safety and protection, we wanna see our kids' hearts gravitate towards God. We wanna see their hearts cultivated, that we have to learn how to treat not just the symptoms, but the source. We gotta treat the source. Because your kids, listen, your kids come hardwired. And so do you, by the way, come hardwired as lovers and worshipers. And so they will either love and worship the one true God or they will love and worship other gods that they erect for themselves within their own hearts. So your kids are born as worshipers and they're not born with a pure heart. Well, oftentimes we look at kids and they go, oh, their hearts are so pure and clean. No, the Bible says that our kids are born with polluted hearts and so are we. They're born with hearts that are polluted with self-love, just like our first parents who took of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden and Eve ate and gave some to her husband and he ate because they wanted to be like God. They wanted to be in the position of God to run and rule their lives for themselves. And your kids are born with those inclinations and out of that polluted heart with filled with love for self flows out of that covetousness. Any of your kids covet? <laughs> right? Yeah, of course they do. Right, you see it in the child's life whenever they walk into a room. I've got two of them. And there's, sometimes there's only one of a certain toy in the home, right? And so one child walks into the room, the other child's playing with the toy. And, 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 and the one child's been playing with the toy for 20 minutes, right? And they might even, even want to play with the toy any longer because the other one wants it, because the other one covets it. The other one walks over and snatches it out of their hand. Right, just snatches it up and starts walking out of the room. The other one says, Mom, Dad, she took the toy. Now, in that moment, why is it that they go over and snatch the toy? What you can do is go in and you can try and modify the behavior and say, give that toy back to your brother right now. <laughs> right, that's the quickest, easiest, most convenient thing to do isn't it, in that moment is to go back in and say, give the toy back to your brother and you go to the corner for five minutes. We do not take toys from other people. <laughs> but if you're gonna get at the heart, then you gotta get at the heart of both of those responses. Because the one who's been playing with it for 20 minutes and really probably doesn't even wanna play with it anymore, they just wanna keep it from the other, there's this heart of greed. And the other who just snatches it up without any thought or regard for someone else, there's a heart of covetousness. And so you gotta get beneath the behavior to the heart condition that's driving that and help your kids begin to understand that. You can't just treat the symptoms, but you gotta go at the source. Right, do you, do you ever see deceit in your children? They ever lie to you? I guess yours don't. <laughs> Once again, my parenting prowess comes to the forefront. Right? But it, you know, the whole family's getting in the car and you know, the, the five-year-old's in the back seat and she's in her little car seat and she goes to pull the seatbelt over and um, you, know, you ask her, hey, did you buckle your seatbelt? Yes, I did. I never heard it click. And you look back and the seatbelt's across her chest but she's just kind of holding the buckle down here in the bottom. Yes, I buckled. Yes. Well, then why are you holding the buckle in your hand? It's not attached to the base where it's supposed to go. Right? Is that just me? Is that just us? Or do your kids deceive you as well? Right? 
They just, why, why do they deceive? See, there's something underneath. There's a fear underneath. Maybe a fear of repercussions, maybe a fear of consequences, maybe it's pride. They don't want to admit the fact that they, have, that they haven't done what you've asked them to do. See, there's something driving that response underneath. And in those moments, there's something that they are worshiping or loving other than God. And if you only treat the symptoms and you never get to the source of the heart, then your kids will never see a need for a new one. See, Ezekiel talks about the, a day that's coming when the new, in the new covenant which God would inaugurate in which he would take out and rip out the heart of stone and he would implant a heart of flesh. Ones that would be responsive to God and his word and his ways and his will. And if your kids never see if they figure out that they can just kind of modify their behavior to this external code, then they will never see the need for the gospel in their lives to give them a new heart so they can now do what they were incapable of doing under their own power, apart from God's grace showing up to change, transform, renew, and renovate. You have to treat the source and not just the symptoms. So you can't just manipulate their behavior across the surface using things like guilt. You ever been there? It's, it's okay, right? I have, <laughs> right? I can't believe you did that. Why would you do that? Right? I've never done that. Your sister never did that. <laughs> I can't believe you would, I can't believe you didn't conceive of doing that. Right? You begin to heap on guilt and shame so they feel really bad about what they've done but you never really get to the heart, the, 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 what's driving that behavior underneath. Or you, you, you manipulate their behavior out of pride. We don't, we don't do that. Not in our family. Right? Or you manipulate their behavior out of fear. Fear of threats that you would make to them. If you do that, right? And usually it's a, a little bit elevated tone of voice, a little bit more serious to kind of grab their attention. If you, don't you, right? Threats and fear and coercion to get them to just modify the behavior in their presence so you can move on with a degree of peace. And that you've, it's a false peace that you've created because you're just kind of jerry-rigging their heart to respond to guilt or to respond to pride or to respond to fear. You have to get to the source and not just treat the symptoms. But how do you, how do, you do that? Here, and here's the second step of this. Is that you and I as parents, you gotta recognize that there are times to make statements. Like when, whenever your kid, your three-year-old's running out the front door and he's running toward the street and there's, like it's a cross street and there's traffic moving at 35 miles an hour up and down the street constantly and he doesn't know anything. You've told him about the street but he doesn't recognize the concept of the street so he runs out the door full bare because he wants to go across the street to his friend's house and you come out and you see him about to cross the sidewalk and you make a statement, right? You yell, do not run into the street because you're trying to protect the child in that moment. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a gut reaction in that moment to make a statement, issue a command, try and draw them back for their protection and safety. But so often in non-emergent situations, instead of, instead of making statements, we need to learn to ask questions. 
We need to learn to ask questions of our children. Whenever, whenever they're behaving in a particular kind of way or whenever you begin to see patterns in their life, you begin to ask questions like, what happened? Tell me in your own words what, what happened. Right? And of course, you're gonna get competing stories, aren't you? If you have more than one child in the home, you're gonna get conflicting stories about what actually happened whenever they came in and snatched the toy. But what happened? What were you thinking and feeling when it happened? That's a heart question, right? What was going on in here when you did this? When you said this, what were you thinking and feeling in that moment? Why did it happen? Here's when I ask my kids pretty consistently. Like, why did you do what you did? Now, if you ask your child, whenever, they're in the, whenever they've been disobedient or disrespectful, whenever they've spoken to you in a particular kind of way or done something, if you ask your child, why did you do that? You know, my, my children don't sit down and go, well, father, Here's, here, here are the nuances of what was going on in my heart. I know I was coveting that toy that my sister had. And so I went over and I snatched it out of their hand because I was, I was, I was not worshiping God in that moment and I was not loving my sister in that moment. It's not what they do. What do they go? What do they do? They look at you and they go, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. And so with all the grace that I can muster in those moments, whenever I look at them and go, why did you do that? Because I'm asking a heart question, like what's underneath that driving you to do what you just did? Why did you do that? And they go, I don't know. I gave them another chance. Well, I'm gonna ask you again. I want you to think about it because that's not an answer. I tell them that pretty clearly. I do make a statement. That's not an answer. I don't know is not an answer, right? So let's ask the question, why did you do that? And then so after several moments of them kind of just looking at the ceiling and rolling, I don't know. I try and frame up for them biblically why they did that. And here's, it's very simple, but it goes after the heart. And this is what I'll say to them. I'll say to my, to my nine-year-old and now to my six-year-old, I'll say to them, the, the, the reason, let me, let me tell you how daddy understands this and how God's wired us, what the Bible teaches us about this. The reason that you did that is because you wanted to do that. It's because you wanted to. In fact, that's the reason all of us do anything that we do. It's because we want to. There's a desire within our hearts. And so I talked to them a little while about about those desires. Like you wanted to do that. Why did you want to do that? What did you think you were missing out on if you didn't do that? What, was, what, 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 what were you thinking they were going to enjoy? What, where, like maybe there was envy there, right? They got to experience something that I didn't get to experience and so I was mad. There's envy. Or they were afraid of consequences and so they lied. And so I asked them, why, why did you do that? And I helped them understand that the only reason any of us ever do anything is because we want to. And then I asked them this question, how do you think that you can do that differently next time? And oftentimes they will go straight, because this is how we're all wired, they will go straight to, well, I just don't need to do it. <laughs> to which I will try, and, and listen, I told you I'm not a stellar parent and 
So this doesn't happen consistently across the board. Sometimes I just lose my mind a little bit. But uh, in my best moments, I sit down with him and I say, listen, the only way that you will respond differently next time is if God does a work in your heart to change your desires. You need him. You need him. I, Daddy needs him. Because sometimes daddy wants to do things that are not healthy for him, that are not healthy for you, that are not healthy for mommy, that are not healthy for anyone. Daddy has desires that he wrestles with in his own heart, and I know you do too. And so let's pray together that next time that God would give you the grace to say yes to him and no to this desire that's in your heart. So I, it, it's, it's getting under the surface you got to learn to ask questions. And then finally, and we're done. This one will be, real, be really quick. Is that if you're going to help shepherd your child's heart, you've got to know your own heart as well. You've got to know your own heart as well. In fact, one of the greatest resources that will equip you to shepherd the heart of your child is to open yourself up to be shepherded by another. And right now, if, 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 if we're just all to be real honest in the room this morning, some of us have no one in our lives that is shepherding us. We have no one in our lives with whom we're having heart conversations with. We have no one in our lives who's helping to examine patterns of behavior. We have no one in our lives who's sharpening iron like the scriptures talk about as, as iron sharpens iron so one man sharpens another or one woman can sharpen another. We have no one in our lives that is shepherding us. And some of, some of us desperately need that. We desperately need to open ourselves up and some of us are afraid of doing that because we have, have triggers in our own lives of guilt and pride and fear that we need the gospel of Jesus Christ to bring about grace and transformation and change in us. See, no, none of us, some of us have no one in our lives going, you know what, the way that you just responded to your kids right then, man, I, I see that pattern in your life of just, uh, just, just unrighteous anger boiling over really quick and your fuse just explodes all over them. And of course, they comply because they're afraid of your wrath. If you don't have somebody in your life shepherding you at that capacity and that level in that way, you need to take a step toward Christian community where you can get around other men and other women, whether it be in this church or another. If this is where God's leading you to plant your life and plug in, I wanna encourage you as, as you continue to get to know who Redeemer is to take a step toward what we call here life groups. The places you can gather with other men and other women where the, where the word of God is opened and, and studied, where we pray with and for each other, where we begin to open up our lives to one another and allow other folks to shepherd us, to guide us to see things in our lives that we have not yet seen for ourselves and to ask heart kinds of questions to us. And, this, and it helps us, it helps me when I have somebody shepherd me to know how to shepherd my kids. Is that happening in your life? If it's not, it's gonna be really hard for you to try and get below the surface in the lives of your children.
So this morning, as, as we close, the band's gonna come and lead us, they're gonna lead us in a song as we close this morning, as we respond to what God has said to us. So maybe this morning, maybe your heart, you've, you've, you've never seen that reality in the scriptures of your heart is what drives everything that you do. Every deed comes from a desire. And some of, you, some of you personally may have been all your life just trying to rein in behavior without ever really addressing where it's coming from. And this morning, if that's you and you wanna visit more about that, I would love to connect with you. Following our service, I'll be in room five, which is just out these doors that you came in just to the left. If you have questions about this message, questions about what it is to have an encounter with Jesus where he saves us from sin and he begins to sanctify us and form us into his image and he begins that work by changing us from the inside out, from the heart where he plants new desires and new passions and new, a new vision for life, new affections and priorities and commitments is a gift of his grace that he plants within us and then life begins to overflow out of that and run down hill and downstream. If that's never happened to you, I would love to visit with you about it this morning. So I want to pray for us. I want to invite you to join me. We're going to sing together and then we're going to be dismissed here in a moment and on your way out. I would love, if you're a guest with us, I'd love to meet you and if you have questions about that, I'd love to visit with you about them. Let's pray together. Father, today we want to recognize our own inadequacies and deficiencies, God, that we know that we're not able to bring about the kind of change in ourselves or in our children that are, that, that, that are necessary to bring about God honoring, Christ exalting, Holy Spirit sensitivity in our lives or in the lives of our kids, that we are absolutely dependent upon you to do that. But Father, I pray that you would help us to aim higher than athletic prowess, aim higher than educational excellence, aim higher than just well-being and safety. And we aim at raising up a generation of young men and young women whose hearts would be fully yours. And God, may that begin in us. May it begin today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.